Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus way more than we love receiving all those calls from all those politicians who actually don't call us. They just send us an automated message. Anyone getting those calls yet? I am the only one. Thank you. Okay. The following Saturday, I told you it's a busy month, we're going to have a super trunk or treat at Tea Park uh, up in Jefferson Hills where we're going to just gather and we're going to dress up as superheroes. Now, I need you guys to pray for me, not just for this event, pray for me, because I've been pressuring Christy to dress up as Hawk Girl, and we went out and found some wings, and um, I just need some witnesses to say, yeah, we heard her say she'd do that, because right now it's still kind of up in the air. Let me share one thing with you quickly, because I've been sending out um, prayer things on, in our Facebook group, because as many of you know, there's, you know, this happens periodically every November, there's another election coming up. And people tend to focus on um, certain topics during the time of election. Now, now here's the reality. Uh, in D.C. this week, there are churches from all over that area gathering, not to, not to picket, uh, not to protest, but to pray, to seek God's face. Because whether we acknowledge it or not, our nation is in a place where there's not a single person, there's not a political party that can take us to where we need to be and get us back on track. It is going to take the hand of God. But within our congregations, we realize there are people with different backgrounds and different experiences, and so we tend to vote differently based on how we were raised or what political party our families affiliated with and what uh, churches in this area and churches in D.C. and churches all over the nation are asking people to do is to put that aside and go seek God and to pray and to ask him, God, show me what your will is for this nation, not what a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, or a Tea Party person's will is, but what is your will and how I can make that happen. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. We're just going to spend a moment in prayer uh, before we uh, just continue with our worship celebration. God, we pray that this morning that you would hear our prayer. We know you always do, but hear our prayer as a body, praying and lifting up, first and foremost, lifting up our president, our vice president, our federal leaders, our state leaders, not just here, but all over the nation. We pray that they would serve with honor and integrity. We pray that they would act justly. We pray that they would uphold uh, just good moral standards. But we also pray that we as the, a nation, as people, specifically we as your people, would seek your face. That we not seek to push a political candidate or a political party but we seek to do the will of the Prince of Peace. God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts because we acknowledge that as a nation, we're in a place where only you can help us. So God, we pray that we would put aside our differences and cling to what we have in common, the blood of Christ that saves us. That we would open our ears to hear your word and that we would be ready and willing to do your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. 
At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. This morning, we are continuing to look at a series that we started a couple of weeks ago when we were uh, responded to the surveys that you guys filled out. Um, how many of you guys remember filling out those surveys? Okay, a couple of weeks ago we kind of touched on that. And for those of you who don't remember, let me just bring you up to speed on what the surveys were quickly. We asked everyone to kind of respond on what are the things that you worry about? You know, what brings you anxiety? What, what, what gets your blood pumped? What are you like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Uh, we also asked what do you wonder about? The things that you wish you knew more about or you just understood better? Uh, and we asked, what do you wish for? Uh, if money were no object, time were no object, what are the things that you would love to make happen or love to do? Um, and here's what we said. We said that uh, last week, well, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the number one thing that people worried and wondered and wished for. And we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and that was unity in the church. People worried. Why isn't there more unity in the church? They wondered, like, what's it going to take to make the people in the church get together? And they wished that the church were more unified. So a couple of weeks ago, we kind of touched on that. And last week, we looked at the number one and number two thing uh, that people worried about, and that was money, which makes sense. Number one worry for people was finances, uh, either their individual finances from the job or the economy. And then the number two thing, which surprised me a little bit, but which is a good thing that people worried about was the salvation of their family and friends. Number two thing that, that you guys said you were worried about. Now, uh, let me do this so you understand where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Um, can I just show you guys the results of the whole survey? quickly so you were, were all the information you filled out. There's a lot of stuff that I couldn't put on there because there were some things, uh, there were like 30 some odd different, or no, actually 60, some odd different, 67 I think, some odd different things that people put down that kind of grouped together to make sense because everyone worded things differently. Uh, but let me show you this. The number one thing, again, I said that people worried about was finances. The number two uh, was the salvation of others. The number three thing that people worried about was the health and happiness of their family. Now, we talked about finances. We talked about salvation of others. Um, we're going to do a series uh, later on called Joy and Pain, looking at, you know, how can you be happy in a world where there's so much suffering? Uh, so we're, we're, we're going to look at that a little bit in the future. Um, violence, the number four thing, which is what we're going to talk about today, number four thing that they worried about was violence in the world, like, and meanness, how to... You know, how can people treat each other like that? Uh, that tied with the health crisis, to which I really can't, from a biblical standpoint, go full on into. A couple of, I think it was months ago, we talked about, you know, the way that God heals and how God heals people. We talked about that. But the emphasis on this health crisis was the national health crisis. And I'm not trying to be, like, you know, funny or anything, but, you know, we get what we vote for, uh, I don't know any other way to word that. We actually have some control over that. Uh, church unity, we already talked about. And where it says future, um, the kind of fifth thing that tied with church unity that people worried about was future generations. People were worried about what in the ham sandwich are future generations going to do if the world is like this now? 
not just our kids, but our grandkids and their kids, what, what do they have to look forward to? Uh, so that was the top things, rounding out what, rounding out what people worried about. Uh, and then we did what do people wonder about? And number one thing was violence, which we're going to hit on that today. I wondered why is there so much violence in the world? That was like number one, and that was tied with heaven. I wonder what heaven's like. I wonder, you know, tied with that was what happens after you die. Uh, so we're actually, um, we're going to do that. So let me do this. Uh, we're going to answer that, but can the ushers come up here? I hate to keep giving you guys all these surveys, but I can talk about everything the Bible says, and that may or may not answer your questions. So uh, next week, based on what you fill out today, and we're going to pull out with the Bible, um, ask you guys, we're going to answer your questions about heaven. And I know a lot of people base it on, you know, movies or base it on, you know, media, uh, but we're going to look specifically at what the Bible says. If you don't have any questions, don't bother filling them out or whatever, but if you do, um, then just take a moment and, and, and fill that out, okay? Uh, but also the number th two thing was why God allows pain. Why does God allow pain and suffering? And like I said, we're going we're gonna to hit on that when we do the series, um, Joy and Pain. And then um, <laughs> this tied for number three, can I truly follow God? Can I really, really, truly follow God? That tied with, um, you know, what, are, what in the world are future generations going to do uh, worrying about or wondering how are future generations going to actually survive? Uh, and they were all kind of things like with limited resources, with this, that, and the other. So here, here's the thing, though. Uh, I said we're going to do the future generations in a couple of weeks. But let me answer the follow God one. I'm going to answer that one now. Because there were several people that say, can I truly follow God? Can I truly do what God expects of me? Can I truly, you know, do the things that God asks? And here's, I hate to make it sound so simple, but here's the simple answer to that, okay? Yes, but you have to make the choice to do so. Now, let me ask this. How many people, um, you know, love sports or like sports? Yeah, um, and there are people who will base their lives around sports. They invest time in it, they invest money in it, they make it a priority because it's important to them. That's what we have to do with God. Does that make sense? There are people, how many of you remember like your, your first love? If your wife is here, raise your hand. Okay, yeah, okay. Because what you did, and most of us, what we did is we ignored family, we ignored friends because we thought spending time with that first love, oh, that was so great, that was so wonderful. We, we you know, family's like, we haven't seen you in days, and we're like, we don't care because we're all about them. That's what we need to do with God. You make the choice to make this person or this thing that you deem important a priority, and um, Nick's not here, right? Good, so let's talk about him uh, because... The, uh, the youth and the whole tech team, and did you guys see the pictures of the tech team at homecoming? Saw them? Well, they looked awesome, did they not? Yeah. But um, from what I understand, because Nick works, which is why he's not here most of the time, um, but when he's not working, he's here, you know, doing tech team stuff. But he made sure, because rumor has it, he has a little crush on this girl. He's not here, and he doesn't listen to the podcast, so we can talk about it. That little crush on his girl. So he made sure that he took to, I'm not going to work that day. I don't care what you say because I'm going to homecoming with this girl. Made it a priority because it was important to him. 
So to the question, can we follow God? Can we really do all that God asks us to do? Yes, if we make the choice to make it a priority and make God important to us. All right, I'm going to get off of that uh, and move on. So um, in the wish for column, just so I can hit on that, uh, what do you wish for? Uh, the number one thing was, and this, this was awesome, the number one thing that people wished for and desired would happen and wanted to see happen was they wanted to see their family and friends come to know Christ, salvation of family and friends. That is awesome. And we talked about that before because when we, you really want that to happen, then you've got to be willing to share the gospel with them. Okay? Uh, the number two thing uh, was can God use me? A lot of people said they wished, and this makes sense, I wish God would use me to impact others, to impact the world, to impact all kind of stuff. And, and here, let me answer that quickly because that's a simple one too. Um, if we want God to use us, then we've got to be willing to do what God asks us to do. If we're not willing to share the gospel within our circles of influence, then, which is a small thing, saying, hey, God loves me and I want to do this thing for God, then how can we expect God to use us in other bigger ways? If we won't do the small thing of letting people know that God exists, then what big things are we expecting God to do? How are we expecting God to use us? If we're not willing to do that, then what else do we want to do for him? Now, here's the other thing. If you're also, if God has given you gifts and skills and talents, and he's given us a, a kind of variety of different skills and talents, um, and a lot of people said, yeah, I want to use this or that for God, use it. I mean, if you can't use it here within the, the, the confines of Crossroads, then use it in the community. And a lot of you do. You use your skills and talents and you volunteer in the community. That's great. If you have a skill or talent and you say, well, there's no place or ministry here at Crossroads for me to use it, come see me. Maybe the reason there isn't one is because you haven't stepped up yet to say I have this skill or talent that I want to use. But if you want God to use you, Start small by saying, God, I'm going to be willing to go tell people that you exist and let God take it from there, all right? And, and the last thing was, um, so check mark on that. Last thing was global peace and happiness. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, not in a couple of weeks, actually. Not sure where we're going to fit that in in the series called Joy and Pain. How does God expect us to be happy and live life to the fullest, which is what Jesus said he came so that we could do in the midst of a world where there is so much suffering, but yet that's what God expects. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But uh, today, to contrast the desire for global peace, we're going to talk about violence and meanness. And uh, that was the major things that people said is, you know, we want to look at there's so much violence in the world and, and hurting one another. And uh, Marty was just telling me that they had a thing downtown, was it this past weekend, uh, for domestic violence and if you look on the web or on TV or whatever you see all over the place, there's domestic violence. Uh, there's TV shows based off of new types of violence. Anyone seen that show, Stalking? I haven't seen it, but there's a show on TV called Stalking that's based off of the fact that so many people are stalking one another. And um, it, it's out of control. So we're going we're gonna to look at what the Bible says about that. And to put us all on the same page, we're going to start with... Um, what is the definition um, of violence? And I got this off the internet, so that means it's, yeah, I didn't make this one up. Um, but violence, behavior involving physical force intended to hurt, 
damage or kill someone or something. So it's a behavior, but it's involving physical force with the intent. No one does accidental violence. No one does accidental, you know, I accidentally punched you in the nose repeatedly and then got in a knee shot to the groin. Doesn't happen on accident. But um, it also says strength of emotion or unpleasant or destructive natural force. So violence is a behavior, okay? It's a behavior, but it's based on an emotion, the strength of your emotion. So violence is the way that people act. Uh, but it's based on an emotion, and those emotions can range from being frustrated. People get violent when they're frustrated. People get violent when they're angry. But here's the thing. People also get violent when they're hurt, when they're alone, when they feel depressed, because sometimes instead of being violent to other people, they are violent to themselves. And I was looking online, um, and I belong to a couple of suicide chat groups, so I can go in there and talk to teens and encourage them and, and, hey, no, you don't need to do that and all that stuff. And usually my best recourse is to try to, because there are a lot of teens in there also that are trying to talk other teens out of suicide and doing violent things. So my best course of, has been to say, hey, you, from what you're saying, you should talk to this person. Here's another teen that sees the positive side and put those together. Um, but there are so many teens that um, pre-suicide will cut themselves and slash themselves regularly and repeatedly because they're feeling alone, because they're feeling rejected, because they feel depressed, because they feel they have nowhere else to turn. That's violence, but they're doing it to themselves, all right? Now, uh, the level of aggression or physical force towards one another is not what God desires. God doesn't desire that now, God's not trying to suppress these emotions, all right? He knows we're going to be frustrated. He knows we're going to be angry. And if you read through the Gospels, most of these emotions, Jesus felt anger. He felt alone. He felt and was betrayed. He felt frustrated. But his reaction was not violence. God doesn't desire that we react with violence. But he's not asking us to suppress the emotions because the emotions are normal. But the behavior is not, and the behavior is based on sin. So if you have a Bible, pull it out, turn to the book of Matthew. But while you're turning to the book of Matthew, I'm going to jump back into Genesis, because I want to show you some stuff out of Genesis real quick. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, it says this. In the course of time, many of you are familiar with this, this, this narrative, this account of history. Uh, Cain and Abel, many of you are familiar with what happened. But in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. In the King James Version, instead of the word favor, it says respect. Uh, and some people interpret the Hebrew word that's used there as gazing. So he looked and looked again as like, oh, this is pleasing, as you look at something pleasing. But if you interpret it that way, then you can also say that he barely even or did not even look at Cain's offering. Now, what happens, how do you feel when you do something for someone or you bring something to someone and they don't even acknowledge it or don't even look at it or don't even appreciate it, you tend to get a little upset, right? Which is natural. But here's the thing. 
okay, in, in, in God's defense, depending on whether we believe it or not. You know, God had already said the ground is cursed. He's bringing an offering from the ground. Uh, whether we agree with it or not, God gets to choose what he calls pleasing. And in his plan, he laid out that these offerings are good. This particular offering is not. We don't know all the other reasons that he may have had for not looking pleasingly upon it. But for whatever reason, it didn't please him. But he did address the emotion that Cain was feeling. All right, here's what he told him. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. All right, that, that phrase literally means, if you look in the Hebrew, his face failed. First fail in the Bible. Some of you don't even know what that means. Ask your teenagers when you get home. Cooperate. So, and then it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. His emotion drove him to a physical response and he killed his brother and what God is saying is hey there there's when we respond to our emotions um, and if, if we don't control our emotions it can lead to sinful actions or sinful responses there's nothing wrong with being frustrated or angry or feeling upset there is something wrong with letting it carry you to a place where you physically take it out on somebody else okay now Although this was a violent act, kind of bred and inspired by sin, the first time we see the word violence used in the Bible is God looking at not just Cain, not just an individual, but looking at humanity as a whole. And in Genesis chapter 6, this is what it says. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Now it, it was corrupt, it was marred, it was spoiled, it was decayed. That's what corrupt means. And as a result, people, not just an individual, not just one person, but there became a culture, an acceptable culture of violence of physically, intentionally, with malicious intent, hurting one another. And God said, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. All right? So if you're wondering, and that, that was what a lot of people were wondering, um, why is there so much violence in the world? It's because there's so much sin in the world. It's because there are so many people that have sin in their hearts and when we react to our emotions, we react and take them out. We think it's okay to take them out on other people. It's okay if I am upset at work or home or a neighbor or whatever, then in my mind, if I think it's okay, then I go home. I think it's okay to beat my wife, beat my child, or just go beat that neighbor. That's why there's so much violence in the world. Now, sin, 
is what literally is causing, you know, our spirit separated from God. And sin is not what God wants us to be walking around with. He would rather that we be walking around with his Holy Spirit. So when I am dealing with those emotions, I have a God who can intervene and help me deal with the pain, the loss, the anger, the frustration. So I don't have to go home and beat my wife or my child. And there are times when, and I'm, I'm going to admit I do it. You don't have to admit you do it. When I just unleash on God. Now, I don't go punch in the air, but I just unleash because I, I'm tired, frustrated, angry, or whatever. And I have just unleashed on God. Now, I've had to repent later. But I would much rather be able to share and let my cares and let God know honestly this is how I'm feeling, God. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm alone. I'm frustrated. And I think that God appreciates that level of honesty because then he can come in and say, Floyd, I am with you. I want to help you ease your frustration. And I want to help resolve and take away your pain. I would much rather do that. And I know there are lots of people who don't believe in God that says, hey, well, I, it's, it's, you know, I, I'd rather go take it out physically somewhere else. That's not what God wants us to do. All right, let me, let me, because I'm, I'm, I'm belaboring this. Open up your Bibles to the, the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, um, God addresses this a little bit. And some of you guys are pretty familiar with this passage from, from when we went through the whole, this is the gospel series uh, this summer where we walked through um, just a lot of everything that Jesus said in the Gospels. But in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, drop down to verse 17. And this is what it says. This is Jesus talking. He says, do not think. And he's talking to a whole crowd of people. In this crowd of people, uh, some people tend to believe that he's talking to his disciples. In this crowd of people, depending on which theologians you read and commentaries, there could be anywhere from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands uh, of people out in this huge area listening to Jesus talk. And no matter which group, if you say it's only hundreds or thousands, not all of them are hardcore Jesus followers. Not all of them, uh, even though they're mostly Jewish people, predominantly Jewish people, not all of them are strict adherers to the Jewish law. Just like if you gather a bunch of Christ followers, not all of them are hardcore Jesus freaks. Some of them just show up at church on Sunday. Some of them show up every now and then. Some of them are in their Bible every day. Uh, there's, there's, you know, from beginning to end, the spectrum is broad. In this group of people is the same thing. And to this group of people, Jesus says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And no matter where these people were, some of them knew the law by heart. Some of them knew of the law because their parents talked about it. Some of them, you know, hadn't obeyed the law since they were children. But all of them were familiar with the law. Just like not everyone in this room has the Ten Commandments memorized. Some of you do in multiple languages. I don't know. Uh, but some of us, uh, I know there's ten. And that's where it stops. But most of these people were familiar enough with the law that when he said, hey, I'm not here to abolish it, but I'm here to fulfill it, he was making a supernatural claim because they knew that the law came from God and the law was what they were to obey. And he was saying, I'm here to fulfill that thing that God told you 
to obey. He says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Then he says this, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's making a claim. He's basically saying the Pharisees were the religious leaders who basically walked around and said, yes, we obey the law, we obey the law, we're the religious, righteous, yada, yada, yada. But they also had a list of other things that they obeyed in addition to the law that Moses gave to the Israelites. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, uh, there has to be a little bit more than just walking around saying that you're righteous. And yes, there still needs to be an obedience to the law. But now he's going to tell them this law that you heard of, that you tried to obey physically, there is a spiritual element to it that needs to be obeyed. And in verse 21, this is what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. That was one of the Ten Commandments. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But now he gives a spiritual element. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, raka, or idiot, or fool, basically for our intents and purposes, it's anyone who's calling somebody a name to put them down or make fun of them is answerable to, th to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. The spiritual, the law said that you shouldn't murder. It is wrong for me because I'm upset to go down and to murder one of you. Jesus says the spiritual element is I should not even think to call you a name. I should not even think. It's one thing to say, well, you know what? I'm really mad at Andrew right now, but I'm just going to hold it in, call him names under my breath or whatever. That's, that's, we might think that's better than, than murdering him, but Jesus is saying, hey, there's a spiritual element because you're still dealing with that level of anger and frustration in my heart. And Jesus is concerned with our hearts. Now, this explains why there are so many mean people in the world. That's the other element of the question people ask in the survey. Why are there so many mean people? Because a lot of us that are Christians and I'm not talking about you, but I know I have done this, and I know people that have done this, we won't act violently, but we sure as heck talk violently. We won't go and, like, smack someone or beat someone or key someone's car, but, man, we will cut people down with our words and think that it's okay and then show up at church at Sunday saying, praise the Lord. And Jesus just said, no, that's not right. That's not what we're supposed to do. Now, here's the reality, because if I, if I were not a Christ follower, and, I, and I've heard this, I've, I've, heard, I've actually heard this when I wasn't really following Christ, but I've heard this, if I were not a Christ follower, and this was pre-Facebook, <laughs> and I heard some of the ways that Christ followers talk to each other, I wouldn't want to be one. If I were a Christ, not one today, and I look and see some of the things that Christians, one post says, praise the Lord, God said, pray this, and there's some verse. The next post, they are literally cursing somebody out 
who thinks differently than they do. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to call him out, but we, we, we had this discussion at, uh, at the CCAC um, Bible thing that we do up at um, CCAC, the college. And uh, I can't, what's his name? Scrooge McDuck, Duck Dynasty dude. What's his name? Uh, Phil. Yeah, Phil. Okay, um, because he made he made uh, you know this comment, and I'm not trying to you know, but you, what you say is what you say. He made this comment and talking about the whole ISIS thing because ISIS thing is what they're doing is they are sweeping through the land, and you either convert to think like we do or we kill you. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. What they are doing. His response to that was, "Hey, well, with concerns to ISIS, we need to, in a nutshell, convert them or kill them." And what we were discussing at the college group is how does that make him any different than them? Because they're both saying the same thing. We're going to convert you to think like we think or we're going to kill you. And that's not what Jesus said and that's not what Jesus did. And I'm not putting him on this. I'm just saying the level of meanness sometimes, and you guys, I'm sure, I, you know, those of you that are on Facebook, you have seen people, especially because the, the, the thing that came down about um, same-sex marriages uh, from the courts and, and, and immediately the posts and the trash talking that came out, and it started with Christ followers saying, oh, I'm so, you know, I wish this hadn't happened. I'm going to be praying for our nation. And then people who did not know Christ came onto your pages and made harsh comments. And some of you did the right thing. You know, you either responded with prayer or you didn't respond at all. But a lot of people started bashing those people, cursing them out. And now that's their view of Christians. They're like, yep, just what I thought. And, and, and I understand, we, you know, we, how, why are we always supposed to take the high road? Are we always uh, supposed to, you know, turn our backs on stuff like that? But God's viewpoint, rather than, it's not about high road, it's not about low road, it's not about us, it's not about them. God's viewpoint is it's about reconciliation. God is more interested in being reconciled to us than holding us accountable for the sin that we do. If he wanted to hold us accountable, he wouldn't have sent his son to die. He would have just judged us and given us the death that we deserve. But he is more concerned with being reconciled to us. He would rather be in a relationship with us than rightfully so be separated from us because we're full of sin. So he has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, a way that we can be reconciled to him. Now, we are supposed to turn around into those people that hate us, and it's hard. It is extremely hard. That hate us, that talk about us, that bash us because uh, just as much physical violence in the world, there is just as much meanness in the world, and we are supposed to, there's a lot of times that all we can do is just keep our mouth shut and walk away. A lot of times that's the only recourse we have. Just keep your mouth shut and walk away. Sometimes you can, and I know, you know, there's, you know, all the pastors that say pray, and God will give you the wisdom and the words to say, and sometimes some of the words that come out are the four-letter ones are not the ones God gave you to say, all right? That didn't come from God. 
Sometimes all you can do is keep your mouth shut and walk away. Sometimes God will give you, because I've heard stories of people where, you know, when they're confronted and they talk to, God gives them wisdom and insight, not so much to come back at you for coming at me, but to share with you the peace that God has given to me. And I'm here to tell you, it is hard. I don't always get it right. I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect. And, and Christy will tell you that there are many times when she looks at me and says, I cannot believe you just said that. And I have to go back and say, yeah, you're right. I have to go apologize to someone or, or, or make something right. But we should not be the ones that people look at and say, yeah, those Christians, those are the mean ones. Those are the ones that always talk bad and bash people. That shouldn't be, that should be a rarity rather than the norm. So as the band comes up, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture. Uh, I'm going to put up on the screen because this is a passage of scripture uh, some of you guys may be familiar with. But um, the Apostle Peter, he wrote um, to groups of people that were literally run out of their homes it would be like, you know, think of what ISIS is doing today. These were the groups of people that were run out of their home under threat of death, violence being done against them because they profess to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. So he responded to them, okay, with uh, first, uh, the letter in First Peter. And I'm just going to take a small package, small passage of this and share it with you because this is what he wrote to them. He wrote to them that the end of all things is at hand. And I know we talked about this at our Bible study, and I've seen lots of like David Jeremiah and other people posting this, and it makes sense because whenever you start talking about the end is near, the end is near, people think, no, not in our lifetime, not in our lifetime. Peter also wrote that, hey, we should be living as if it could come soon. Because technically, according to Jesus, he said, when you see these signs, know that the end draweth nigh. And all of those signs, we're seeing them. And for those who say, "Are you?" I don't know when he's coming back, I can say this. I can say this with 100% assurity. We are closer today than we were yesterday to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's cool. Somebody should tweet that out. But I can say that with assurity. I don't know when, but I know we are closer today than we were yesterday. All right. So he says that the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And the way that some people interpret uh, that language, it literally means don't be out of your mind. If you've given your mind over to frustration, anger, and all of these things, then you no longer have control of it. And the reason that he tells us to be control of it is because we should be praying. We're the people of God. We should be talking to God. And he says, above all, meaning this is extremely important, more important than what he just said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, the way that you love one another, not the way that we bash each other, not the way that we talk bad about each other because we're from different denominations or because we're from different churches, but the way that we show love to one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Literally, show extreme generosity to each other. That's the way that we're supposed to treat each other. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Hopefully you've heard me say that before. Use your gifts and your talents that God has given you to bless the lives of others. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And the reason we're doing all of this, the reason why we're doing everything that he just said, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you guys to stand as the band gets ready to play. So tech team, can you get the band's uh, equipment turned on? So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to ask you guys to commit. We're not going to take a vow. We're not going to take a pledge. But we are going to become in agreement as the people of God to some of the things that we just talked about, all right? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to say something, and if you're in agreement, now here's the thing. It could be silent. I could hear crickets because you may say, I can't agree to that because it is kind of hard. But I'm going to ask you to come into agreement. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that God has given you his Holy Spirit, then I'm going to ask you, and, 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 and I'm going to ask you these things knowing, let me do this first, knowing that some of us have been in the places of things we've talked about. Because uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of us here have been hurt. Some of us here have felt rejected. Some of us here have been frustrated. Some of us here have been alone, felt alone, even felt like, God, I, I don't know where you're at in my time of need. Some of us here have felt upset, even with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know I have been. And some of us have been upset at other people. And sometimes we've gone to that extreme of taking it out on them. But let's stand in agreement today. And this is what I'm going to ask us to do as I say these things. If you're in agreement, then just say amen. That we're going to stand in agreement as the people of God. That we are not going to tear people down with our words. Can you say amen to that? that we are not going to <laughs> intentionally hurt one another physically or verbally. Amen. Amen. That we are going to take the time to understand that there are people who believe differently. And even if we don't agree, if we're in that place, that we'll listen to what they have to say. Amen. Amen that we're not going to try to impress our views upon other people, but when we have the opportunity, we will share the gospel with other people. Amen. And that we acknowledge that there are people that are hurt, there are people that are lost, there are people that are frustrated, and that it is our responsibility to let them know that there is a God that loves them. So as we sing this song, keep, keep that, those thoughts in mind and let God speak to our hearts.